1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have got a fantastic guest. I'm really excited to have this guy on here. It's not Josh Gurley, if you're watching on YouTube. I can talk to that guy anytime. It's Mr. Robert Sutter from Keystone. And Robert is the president of their organic growth division. This guy has more programs than I have pairs of socks in my dresser drawer. So we're going to talk a lot about what he's doing to help people new and old in the production game. Robert, what's up, man? We just learn more about you every time we talk. Why don't you give everybody kind of the 10,000-foot overview of of your background a little bit, and I know that it's going to take us a little while to get through it because you've been so well-traveled over the course of your career, but I want everybody to know I usually reserve the E.F. Hutton of insurance for Josh Gurley, but I got a feeling Josh did a whole lot more listening to Robert, and that's how he got to where he is. So we're going to say you're the E.F. Hutton of insurance today. Everybody needs to listen when this man talks.
2: (laughs) Well, I appreciate it, David. It's nice to be with you and Josh. Uh, my background is uh, is fairly simple. It's 43 years in the insurance industry. Uh, started out in my career after uh, getting out of the Marine Corps. I was a Marine captain. Uh, got out and went to work for uh, Bill Pritchard in Atlanta, Georgia. Pritchard and Jordan Agency. Uh, was there for uh, roughly 20 years. Uh, principal and... Uh, Uh, producer there, uh, primarily mid to large size accounts. And uh, I uh, was responsible for our uh, sales department at that time and helping develop some of our younger producers. Uh, Around 1996, I decided I wanted to uh, uh, develop a sales training company and started what we called uh, uh, on-target sales training uh, that morphed into a a different name for uh, cross-site sales training. Uh, and uh, did that independently for a number of years and had the opportunity about 15 years ago to merge all those programs into Keystone. And that was the start of the Organic Growth Division, which has grown uh, in that 15 years. We have uh, Nick Kormos that works with us uh, that uh, does a, a great deal of work with agencies to uh, improve their metrics uh, and also to do some uh uh, individual coaching and sales management coaching. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much what we do.
1: For those people out there who don't know what Keystone is or how they operate, how about giving us kind of the elevator pitch? Because my understanding of Keystone and Josh, you can chime in with whatever you want to add to it is that you guys are different. You're not a normal aggregator in the terms of like an SIAA or somebody like that. It's a little bit uh, different in scope and, Every time I talk to somebody, I find out there's another division that exists that I didn't know existed the time before. So I think that we're at a time where a lot of agents are out there and they're weighing options to uh, let people acquire their agency or they're looking for a way to consolidate and get better market access or even resources that they may not be able to get on their own. And so i think it's really important that we lay out sort of the foundation of who keystone is because i can tell you robert i probably get three calls four calls every week of people wanting to know uh, who should i talk to hey i talked to somebody from keystone what do you think about them i happen to think they're an outstanding organization and david bodker the ceo is someone that i have gotten to know a little bit over the course of the last several months and I, did, I, I thought I was wild in terms of my thought process and just running and gunning. And this guy makes me look like a piker. So how about setting the stage a little bit about Keystone, if you don't mind?
2: Um, fine. Keystone um, uh, started, uh, we're 30 plus years old, uh, started in Pennsylvania uh, with four agencies that did what a lot of agencies wanted to do back then. They wanted to aggregate their, their book of business to, uh, try to attract more markets and do do things that they weren't capable of doing individually. But um, over the years, it's grown tremendously. When when I joined 15 years ago, we were only in four states. Uh, we're now in 16 states. Uh, some were approaching 300 uh, independently owned agencies. And I think that's the big difference between us and some other groups. We don't own the agency partners in our group. They own us. Uh, The owners of Keystone are the employees of Keystone and uh, the partner agencies and their employees. So we exist for no other reason than to provide resources to agencies like Josh's that might otherwise not want to have those services inside their house under their own pen. So uh, we wind up uh, basically being a cafeteria line of services. Uh, I believe at the moment we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 divisions that uh, can do all kinds of things. We've got risk management uh, services. We have the ability to broker through London. We have the ability to um, uh, have and maintain our own captive arrangements uh, offshore. Uh, We have uh, loss control services. There's a variety of things that we can do, and we develop and uh, educate people about uh, how to sell better. A very large cleaning operation. Uh, yeah, that's what I do. So you know, my focus is fairly limited. i work with uh, young producers getting started and I work with established producers that are trying to uh, up their game and uh, go to a different level in terms of their production. Uh, we try to do that uh, by focusing on a process as opposed to focusing on coverage. Uh, we talk uh, very much about the need to displace the current agent, and we can't displace the current agent by simply selling the same uh program that uh, is presently in place and doing it for less money. Uh, there has to be something more to that there has to be a better uh service to the uh to the customer uh, and a better uh parachute if you will that's That's what we think insurance is really is a risk parachute for people that don't really want to jump out of an airplane.
1: Josh, you've been working with Robert for a while now. I mean, I don't remember exactly when HM advisors, you were Hunt Miller back then joined Keystone, but talk a little bit about um, you know, what led your agency to get involved with Keystone and, and what it's like or what it's been like since you've engaged specifically with, with Robert and his top 20 program.
3: I think our agency started out like a lot of agencies do. Uh, you know, you, you're you're trying to get upstream. You're trying to get into more middle market accounts and larger business, but you're not exactly sure uh, what to do. And and really, the biggest thing that holds you back is your confidence. And I want to say that we started with Keystone in maybe 2014, 2013, uh, sometime you know along those lines. And I think really a lot of the stuff was just in our head. And the thing that I think Robert did and you talk about this David a lot is he helped us believe in our own ability and he gave us some ideas and a lot of the stuff that I tell people today is just I tell people all the time that it's I take some stuff Robert said some stuff you said some stuff that you know Randy has said some stuff that all these other people say and I just kind of put it together and make it my own thing but for the very first time I think in my whole career when I heard Robert say that you can compete with anybody if you have the right process that that was a huge thing for us and then from that day on i mean that's really what we talk about all the time is hey we have developed a process and and i can go through that and i've gone through that on other things i won't bore the listeners with that but but i could go through the whole thing and you could hear some shades or plenty of shades of robert in there and uh of course Of course, you know, the whole premise is is that 80% of the people, they want to sell you as much insurance as you'll buy, and we want to help you buy as little insurance as you need because it's not about the insurance transaction. And I think when Robert really started showing us those things and teaching us how this stuff gets done at a high level, I mean, it made all the difference. And I mean, if you were to look at our growth chart pre-Robert and then post-Robert, I mean it's. You can't even compare. I mean, it's it's triple the size uh, just by changing a few things. And I and I can look back, I mean, even at other people that have been on your podcast. I mean, you know, people like Steven Sedlak. I mean, those are people that, that Robert has trained. And um, there's so many good and successful producers that are out there because of Robert. And it's more than just, I think, you know, the sales aspect. I mean, Robert... He, he used this term to Andrew and I one time. He said, "He said, you know, you guys have balls because you'll call on anybody, but if you take a little brains to go with those balls, you're going to go a whole lot farther in this world. <laughs> and and when Robert said that to me, I thought, you know what? He's right. He's right. And he, he encouraged me. I, you know, I, I do my best. I'm, I'm a lot more country than maybe I come across sometimes. But Robert, he encouraged me to do my best to change my voice up every now and then. To uh, to sound a little bit less uh, like I'm from the sticks, you know, and just everything from the way you speak to the people, the way you write your emails, the way that you dress, the way that you trim your beard. I mean, Robert Robert was on me about all these things, and and David, you had the benefit of meeting me right? yeah, post Robert. Yeah, I was gonna
1: say I got like the reformed version, man. I got yeah. you after the makeover.
2: Yeah, you got the reformed version, cute. and. He wasn't quite the mess he's uh, making himself out to be. Uh, He he and Andrew Deering together. He he and Andrew Deering together, I think, make a very formidable team because Andrew is probably one of the best door openers I've ever met, and people immediately like Andrew. And and Josh brings that technical knowledge that Andrew did not have at the time. He he probably has it now, but when they first started doing business together. Uh, I think the two of them together made a very, very complete package for somebody that was looking for someone to uh, uh, understand what they're doing how they're doing it and put together the right kind of program for them. Uh, Josh made an interesting comment there a minute ago about, about uh, uh, trying to write uh, somebody as little business as they actually need instead of as much as they're willing to buy. I'm a little irritated with the Liberty Mutual ads that have, uh, taken that phrase from me because I've used it for uh, for at least 40 years. And uh, and it it comes across sometimes and, and a, a prospect will catch you and go, well, that makes no sense. Aren't you uh, a commissioned salesperson? Don't you get paid if you write more insurance? And I go, yeah, it's true. but But the reality is I would rather have less money from you for the next 25 years than to have a lot of money from you for a year or two because I sold you things you did not need. And somebody else came in and pointed that out. So when you talk to somebody about a a lifetime and career involvement with them, as opposed to just making a sale and hoping to keep their business for a short term, uh, that, that statement really, you know, makes, makes some sense. And we show people how to go through, you know, three non insurance ways of handling risk before they ever, uh, have to buy insurance. And that, that is an eye opener for a lot of folks.
1: Well, I can tell you it's the number one reason why 80% of my accounts are on a service fee as opposed to a commission, because I don't have to worry about how much insurance I'm selling somebody in order to feed my family. I charge them a fair and adequate rate based on the work that I do for them, and I'm incented to provide the absolute best solution for them, period, whether it be from a contractual risk stand uh, standpoint or whether it be from risk management services that we provide or coverage recommendations or whatever else on a service fee account. If I go in and recommend coverage to a client, they're never going to push back to me and think, that I'm only trying to sell it to him because it makes me more money. It automatically gives me credibility that this is the best solution. And David's telling me this because it's exactly what we're paying him to do. And in my agency, one of the things that we did that has taken this to a little bit different level is we will actually take and present two different options to our prospects before we engage with them. Number one, I think everybody listening needs to understand, I get hired before I handle insurance. I will not quote just because I need practice, and I'm not going to quote to compete and get your business my value proposition stands on its own that's what i'm going to lay out you either buy it or you don't if you don't that's fine that's why we have a free market economy but if you do you know exactly what you're getting into before we ever go down the road of insurance so that's important to understand but we are so heavily risk management focused and we we're looking at losses and and helping people understand the impact of individual claims And everything else that we like to set benchmarks and we want skin in the game when we go work with a new client. So we'll do a service fee as is traditionally done. But the other thing we do is we establish KPIs for the relationship and we'll put benchmarks in place. And if we hit those benchmarks, then we're going to be able to have the ability to bonus out. Right. So the story that I always tell is from a large egg distributor that I worked with up in the Carolinas had about five million chickens talk about something that's going to open up your sinuses on a warm summer afternoon. Jump out of your truck in a chicken farm and see what happens. It's not pleasant. So um but anyhow, you know, we we went in and we did we did that deal and we gave them two different choices, right? They had averaged 437 something Four hundred and some thousand dollars out of pocket loss costs on average the five years prior, whether it be self-insured inten- uh, retentions or uninsured things or things they self-insured because they didn't want to file a claim or whatever else they were spending almost a half a million dollars in addition to the 2.5 million they were paying in premium. So when we did the deal, we realized pretty quickly that the, the commissions were skewed because it was $86 million in TIV of frame construction, and there was really no effort by the agent that was being performed to make that worth that kind of Commission on a property account. It just didn't make sense. I mean, so we went in and said, look, here's the deal. We'll do the deal for 875. We know that we can give you risk management services for that. We had boots on the ground within 30 minutes of their locations. And so we'll we'll do it for 87.5, or we're willing to do it for 75000 dollars guaranteed. And for every hundred thousand, we reduce your total out of pocket loss costs. We get a ten thousand dollar bonus, which we will cap at $100,000 total compensation for us. So your worst case scenario is you pay me six figures, you've already saved a quarter million. People love it because now I'm incented to drive their costs down even further, which means I make more money for driving costs down, which is exactly the opposite of what happens in the insurance industry. Because our compensation is tied to the sale of a... Yeah, because our compensation is tied to the sale of a product, when somebody has an experience mod that goes through the roof, their premium is going to go up. It's just that's how it works. And guess what else goes up? The agent's compensation. So you can have somebody doing a horrible job for a client that makes more money than the guy that's doing their job the right way. All we've done is we've taken that out of the equation and we get rewarded for driving costs down and we make more money. It's a win-win for everybody involved.
2: Well, I, I like the idea of fee business, and I would tell you that uh, all of our large accounts uh, were written on a fee basis. And one of the things I liked about the fee basis was the opportunity to really set it up as a three-year commitment uh, to work together, uh, as opposed to a one year. And and you think about it, uh, a president serves for four years, a, a congressman serves for two, a senator serves for six, and we run for office every year, uh, and and people that are inclined to shop or inclined to change agencies in any given year. But if somebody has a high experience mod, if somebody has uh, issues in their business that require attention and uh, specific expertise and knowledge, uh, it's like getting fat. You don't get fat over uh, a year and you don't get skinny over a year, it takes some time. So you have the opportunity to secure a uh, three-year performance operation. It's not an NFL no cut contract, but uh, if somebody, if we're doing a poor job or if for some reason somebody doesn't like us, they can get rid of us. But we want three years to accomplish that uh, reduction in costs that you're talking about and, and make that happen. And it takes a lot of competition out. Uh, there's another thing that you can add to that, David, that, uh, that we've always done, and I think it's a very, very bright thing to do. Uh, total compensation, as you say, capped at 100 grand, whatever it's going to be. And then put these words after it, plus your active goodwill. And they're going to look at you and go, what the hell is active goodwill? And the the comment that comes after that is, well, if we're doing the job that we said we'd do, and you are pleased with the job that we've done for you, uh, I am going to ask you to introduce me to other people uh, like you. And I'm not going to consider that a favor on your part. I'm going to consider it a, a part of our compensation. And they look at you stunned and they go, Brilliant. Yeah, we're in. Uh, You're not obligated to do it if we're not doing a good job. But if we are, I'm going to ask for a specific introduction to somebody you know, somebody you're doing business with, somebody that could be a good client for us. And I'm going to expect that introduction.
1: I think that is a great way to set the table right at the onset. And it's something that I don't think I do a good enough job of. And I honestly don't think that the Producers at large do a good enough job of asking for referrals. Many times at this point, we hide behind technology and we use automation and emails and things like that to make sure that the ask actually happens, but it's not nearly as sincere and not nearly as impactful. And I don't need all the insure techs out there that automate referrals to to become, you know, come in here and hammering me with hate mail. I'm not saying your product doesn't serve a purpose. What I'm saying is there's still a human behavior that has to happen. And your referral software doesn't work at the onset of the relationship at the closing table, but what Robert just said did. The other thing, Josh, it's interesting because you have not read my book yet. You've re- I mean, I, just, I literally just sent you the edited portion that's come back to me for me to see right before we got on here. But when you m- made your comments earlier, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I am dead on the money in this book because it's exactly what I talk about. Number one mindset, right? The number one thing I encounter with anybody I ever talk to in this industry who's struggling or not sure of their way or brand new is you've got to get them to believe in themselves. If you can't get, you cannot believe in them more than they're willing to believe in themselves. That's number one. Then number two comes with what are the behaviors that follow? We get so focused on results in this industry, but there are behaviors that lead to those results we can manage in real time. And that's the whole thing, right? We talk about mindset. Then we talk about process. Then we talk about the behaviors. Then we talk about the results. And that's literally the four quadrants of the book that's coming out.
3: Well, I think one thing is that you know everybody that does this at a high level. It, I mean, maybe they do it a little bit different. I do it a certain way. Robert does it a certain way. You do it a certain way. But it's but it's like I think everybody just must just be hooked up at the brain. You know, it must be like the Matrix or something. Because I because I think like you know this whole thing is not that hard. You know, it, from 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 just an execution standpoint, as far as you know, making the calls and and doing the things that it is that you need to do to be successful. But it just seems like so many producers, they're looking for that magic bullet, they're looking for that magic phrase, they're looking for that thing that, if I just say this one thing, that then it's gonna be, it's all gonna work out. I'll give you this example, I was coaching this guy and never been involved in in commercial insurance before, just simply personal lines. And we went through, I mean, quite a few sessions, probably about 10 different sessions. And he was wanting to learn some of the basics of, of, of commercial lines, and I started going through work comp, and we started talking about some of the things that I look for, and then you know he just eventually was like, I got to go sell something today, and, <laughs> and, and so I said, well, hey, if you want to go doing back to you know personal lines or whatever, hey, that's that's your thing. And he's like, yeah, I think that's I think that's what I'm gonna do. But the problem was I think he just defeated himself in his head before it he even started. You know, it's kind of like if he would have just kept with it a little bit longer because he was saying a lot of really good things, he just he just for whatever reason he he just got out. He was like I can't I can't do this. And so another interesting story. I think this would be good to hear Robert's opinion on this. I was coaching this other guy or I do coach this other guy. And so he had an opportunity on a, on a fairly large account, maybe, you know, 30000 in revenue. I had, a, by the way, this is a little side note. When I first wrote my first five-figure account, I remember I called Robert and I said, Robert, I'm so happy. I just wrote this account. as $15,000 in revenue. And then Robert's like, okay, what else you got? You know, and, and it was that moment. <laughs> it was kind of like, at that, it, you know, it's kind of like, hey, congratulations. Uh, so you're going to have to do this more than one time. Um, but, but anyway, so I was, <laughs> it's true. So
2: I was coaching, Bill uh, used to, Bill Pritchard used to tell us, what have you done for me lately? We'd come in with
1: a nice account and, yeah. and
2: uh, he'd say, that's terrific. What have you done for me lately? <laughs>
1: okay. up and go do something else. It, yeah, it so, is scary how similar I am to that too, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll tell the story quick. I was coach. I'm coaching this guy. And so we were talking about, He calls me and he's like very excited. He wants to tell me about this uh, agent of record letter that he gets. And so he, he, you know, we ended up getting on the Zoom and I'm like, hey, man, what's tell me about this story? And he was like, you're never going to believe it. I said, what? He said it got rescinded. And I thought, man, what? And, And I just said, well, what happened? He said, well, I listened to somebody's advice. It wasn't your stuff. I listened to somebody else's advice. I said, well, why don't you listen to somebody else's advice? He said, well, he said that, that you're just slow playing it, that you just don't, that, that, you know, you just, you go too slow on these deals, that, that when you try to set it up up front, that you're going to have an initial meeting, initial meeting, you're going to have, you know, a risk review session, you're going to come back with your findings, and then you're going to ask to get married on the, you know, the third or fourth, third or fourth date. He said, that's too long. He said, what you do is, is you ask them right up front. You just go ahead and say, hey, sign this deal. So I said, well, tell me the story. Hey, this
1: is, you know what this is? This is the difference between somebody who wants a hooker and somebody who wants a spouse. That's, in my opinion, what it is. All right.
3: Well, so this yeah. that's, exactly, that's exactly what happened. So he goes and he presents the, the, the BOR on the first meeting. And I said, well, what does it say? He said, well, I just used an Accord agent of record change. I said, okay. I said, and who did you meet with? He said, I met with the CFO. She took the Accord agent of record change in to the owner. The owner signed it. And then she brought it back to me, and I said, "So you're telling me that you didn't present this to him yourself, and you met with somebody who
1: couldn't make the decision or sign the document."
3: Well, exactly, exactly. So, and I said, "Now, why did you do this again?" He said, "Because," he said, "Because you know somebody just told me that you were moving too slow," and and it really and and I said, "Look, I'm not, I'm not upset." I said, "I think this is an important lesson." that, that we all need to, that we all need to learn. And this lesson came straight from Robert who said, you didn't ask your wife to marry you on the first date. And although I, you know, you know my story, I I probably could have, or should have, I mean, she was, you know, beautiful, but that's beside the point.
1: She still is, John. She
3: still is. She still is. I'll tell her you said that. So, um, so anyway, but I learned this method from Robert and I told the guy, I said, look, you just went too fast. I said, you didn't do what I told you to do. I still use today, the same BOR letter that Robert gave me. And I almost haven't memorized it at at this point that just says, I, and the first line is fully understand. I am appointing HM advisors, you know, to provide the whatever, whatever down the line. But, and I said, so you didn't give him a, you didn't give him a document that said, Hey, I so-and-so fully understand. And he said, no, I didn't do that. And and so the worst thing thing is, is like,
2: I was just saying the worst yeah. thing people do yeah. is they get an agent or a letter and they don't explain that you're firing your agent. And when the agent gets fired, he comes back and says, why'd you fire me? He goes, I didn't mean to fire you. And it's all undone.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a huge point. I mean, it, and it happens more than I think it should. All you have to do is explain to people what the process is going to be. Our job fundamentally is to educate, period. End of story. If you can educate, you can close business. You literally don't even have to ask for the order if you're a good educator. They're going to come to the conclusion on their own. And it doesn't stop just when they say, hey, I think I'm ready to move forward. It has to continue through the AOR process because you need to let them know. And I try and make it personal. I know Josh does too, but I want to know everything I can about that account before I go in. There's a high likelihood I know the first name of the producer and I'm going to use it because Because if they're going to flounder at all in their decision-making process, I'm going to see it in their body language. When I say that person's name, I can see how they react because now it's personal and they're going to be taking money away from somebody's family and hiring somebody else. And I make sure they're very, very clear on what that looks like so much so that I actually give them a template of the breakup letter and tell them you can call them. I recommend that you call them, but if you're not comfortable talking to them over the phone, following these bullet points, then go ahead and you can copy and paste this into an email and it is going to be loud and clear that you are terminating your relationship with them and you're going to move forward. And if they have any sense at all, they're not going to beat you over the head based on how this is worded because they want to preserve the opportunity to come back in the future and be able to work with you. So let let me take that one step.
2: Let me take that one step further. Uh, Just because you've written a letter or told them the wording to uh, say on the telephone, um, you can't divorce your wife in an email, and you can't really fire your agent with a letter. Uh, I've never had that happen that the agent didn't call up and say, hey, we need to meet, I'm coming over, I wanna to talk to you. And it, there's gonna be a face-to-face. So uh, one of the things that we teach in our top 20 program is the counterattack. And that's, that's an old Marine Corps um, uh, tactic that we learned. When, when you take a hill from an enemy, uh, if you don't kill everybody, they go down to the bottom of the hill and they run back in the jungle and they start reloading and licking their wounds and they're going to come back up and try to take the hill again. So uh, there's three predictable things. And I always talk to, to a new prospect or a new client that said, yes, we're going to do business with you. And I say, all right, well, here's what's going to happen when you call them and tell them that they're out. Uh, he's going to come over and he's going to want to see you. And he's going to hit you with one of three uh, arguments. It's the same thing that happens if you've ever fired an employee they're going to be angry that they've gotten fired. Uh, now, if he's not angry, but if he comes in and he's angry and he says, I can't believe you're taking my account from me. If the guy doesn't know what to say about that, he, he backs up. And it's like, hold on. Why are you so ticked off? Uh, you know, go ahead, fix this, fix this and you can keep it. So anger is one response repentance is the other. I'm really sorry that we let you down in this way or that way, but we can fix it. There's nothing that Robert said he can do that you can't, that we can't do. And the third uh, argument is uh, a guilt trip. After all the years we've handled your business and all the good things we've done, you're gonna let us go. So those three things or some combination of them are gonna happen. And uh, if a guy's prepared for that, he doesn't get rolled. If he's not prepared for that, he may backpedal and do what Josh said and rescind that letter. So you prepare him for the counterattack because it is coming. No doubt about that. Well, and that's why I I
1: think I think the one thing I think the one thing that we need to also make sure we mention is when i present an agent a record letter it's not a surprise like it's not and it's also not the first time that that client or prospect has heard about it because if they if they didn't agree to the fact that they were willing to fire their agent based on what we talked about in the meeting before i end my i don't close on the first appointment i typically don't close on the second it's usually the third or the fourth because one's discovery One's getting more information as to what you need in touring facilities and all of that kind of stuff. And then the third one is when we go back and deliver the work product, which is when I tell them, but in that second meeting before we leave, I say, look, if I deliver everything that I tell you, I'm gonna deliver and you're happy with the work product that we put forward, I want you to know when I come back to present that to you, I'm gonna ask you to fire John and hire me. And the way that you do that is this. And then when we go back, if they say, we're ready to move forward i can only assume that i was crystal clear in that first meeting and they're expecting it so they're ready to move on their end your point about the counterattack is exactly why they need to not do that on email you know some people just don't right. hey you said it already some people just don't have the balls right they don't have the guts to fire somebody and their culture and their organization shows that because they got people that have been working there 15 years that should have been gone too so some of them are just not going to do it but those people so i encourage phone If they want to meet with them in person, by all means, but they're going to get bullet points from me that say these are the things you need to hit that is going to resonate with the producer to understand exactly what happened. The issue is people are selling insurance. They're not solving problems. So in a producer's mind, I've always given you a good renewal. You've always had coverage. What does that have to do with total cost of risk? Absolutely nothing. Just because you sell a good insurance policy with good coverage means absolutely nothing for the total budget of the risk management program. Yeah, well, Josh mentioned I'll, something I'll, a minute ago.
3: This. Uh,
2: go ahead. Go, yeah, ahead. go ahead, Robert. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago uh after you do this, but it has to do with the type of person you said uh, you know, that you're going too slow. You're going too slow. And I think in our business, and I interview a lot of uh producer candidates every year for Keystone Partners, uh, upwards of 75 of them a year uh for the past thirteen or fourteen years. Um, so I see a lot of guys that people like them, they're, they're affable. They're nice people, good personality, all those good things. But I think there's two things that are intention, uh, intention with one another. And that is, uh, a a sense of patience, uh, juxtaposed with a sense of urgency. Uh, you have to be urgent about your prospecting. You have to be urgent about the, the manner in which you work. But you have to be patient with larger accounts because they take time to court and develop and woo away from their existing uh, agent. And I think a lot of times we get these guys that are impatient, like the one you described, Josh, that says, I need to move faster. I need to close this deal immediately. And if you close it immediately and they're dissatisfied, it, it comes up with what people call buyer's remorse. Yeah, I picked this guy, but now that I picked him, I wished I hadn't. And that's when he's up for grabs next year as well. So when we're looking for producers, I, I look for uh, somebody that has demonstrated in their past to be very patient about developing a skill or developing a, a talent and yet uh, has an urgency to accomplish something and has goals. Those two things uh, in, in, in tandem with one another is what makes for a, a good producer. If you got somebody that's got an urgent need to make a sale, you need to sell cars. You can sell them today. Uh, but if you're, uh, going to do a relationship sale that has to last for a long time, uh, as a, a business relationship, you have to have patience, but you also have to be urgent about the amount of prospecting you do. So I did I wanted to get that in before I lost it cause I'm getting old and my thought processes leave me sometimes. So now chime in what you were trying to say.
3: Well, yeah, I think, I think the thing that I would just want people to know is, is that the, if the first time you introduce to somebody that they have to fire their current representation is at the closing meeting, then then you're not putting yourself in a very good position because
1: you haven't done your job
3: I think yeah, well, I think a lot of people you know I always say that the definition of competence is liking knowing and trusting now we all know that's not the real definition of competence, but that's what people think and and perceive in their mind. And that's what we have to get over is the fact that they may like them, they may know them, and they may trust them. And then based on those things, they believe and perceive that that person is competent to do the job. And so for us to sit there and talk about our agency, talk about how great we are, how fast we send out certificates and all the the great stuff that we do, all the insurance companies that we have. I mean, that just sounds like the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah teacher, right? And
1: it's the expectation, man. It yeah. really is. I mean, okay, great. I'm glad you have that. That's what you're supposed to do. It's called your job.
3: Oh yeah. I mean, there's nothing special about that, right? There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no shock and all when it comes to all that, that portion of it. And I think that if, if you really do that, do a good job on the front and we've talked about this, I mean, eight or 10 times I've been on your podcast when we've talked about the same thing, but like, it's the, it's the truth. and, and, you know for me like i said I, robert showed me this early on and so i just think that you know for the people that are listening that they, they got you have to introduce that concept soon and don't fool yourself into thinking that you're working just cuz you have stuff that's going to the finish line that doesn't necessarily mean that you're working people people work on stuff all the time that they have no business working on they have no chance of actually Winning those deals, but they want to say that they're busy. They want to say they have a full pipeline. I mean, you have absolutely nothing in your pipeline if you're just doing a bunch of quoting and and hoping. And and Robert has a great a great story about this, and I don't mean to steal it from you, but I, I think I've stole it from you before. But you talk about hitting golf balls on the range, and if you have yeah. if you have a bucket full of, full of golf balls, and one comes out and the cover's knocked off, you're just going to tap it to the side. But if your bucket only has one ball in it and it's and it's tore up, got the cover knocked off, you're going to do the best that you can to hit that thing. And so that's why, you know, to your point about six months, dirty one thirty to, to to change things. I mean, you have to have that behavior. You have to have, you know, that amount of activity to put those balls into your
1: bucket to begin with. I think yeah, that I, uh, I agree with you completely.
2: Yeah, the thing that. That I think a lot of producers miss is they want to be technically competent about insurance, but they don't think like a business owner about uh, what can I afford to lose and what can I not afford to lose. And I use the concept of becoming an expert buyer rather than a peddler of product. Uh, When I married my wife uh, 42 years ago, I, I knew absolutely nothing about buying a diamond ring. And over the years, I've bought her a lot of other diamonds And what I know about diamonds can be poured out of a thimble, but I have a friend that is a diamond expert and I get him to buy diamonds for Laura when that uh, takes place. And I just tell him, hey, I've got $5,000 or I've got $10,000 or whatever I'm getting ready to spend. And Sean, I want you to uh, take 10% of that and keep that as your fee. Take 15 if you have to have it and take it as your fee, but then go buy wholesale for me the very best quality diamonds you can find and he does that and I trust him and I let him do something I know very little about when you look at business owners that we call on they know how to buy raw materials they know how to buy machinery equipment they know how to buy uh, whatever it is that is their bread and butter but they buy insurance one time a year and if they've been in business 20 years and have been buying it they've done it 20 times Josh does it and you do it 20 times a month so uh, and have four years there is no reason not to think that we could be a better buyer of, of risk management services and insurance products where they're required than the person that is a dabbler in that, uh, but an expert in their own business. So we sell that concept. The other thing that, uh, and I think, David, I talked to you about this before we got on this podcast, um, I equate insurance uh, as, as being probably a, among the worst products on the planet. Uh, not that it's a bad industry or a bad product. It's a bad product simply because no one really wants to buy it. It's a have to buy. It's mandated that we buy it from our customers mandated. The uh, state requires it for vehicles. Lenders require it if there's liens on property or vehicles. So we're, we're being mandated to buy it. Uh, it's expensive. And now I'm I'm being made to buy something expensive that I really don't want. Now, here's the kicker after I buy this expensive product I didn't really want to buy, I don't want to use it. I don't want the loss. I don't want the claim. uh, I don't want the aggravation of having that loss. So you buy the book uh, of policies, you put it on your bookshelf, and you just go about your business and pray that nothing happens. But that's why I equate it to a a risk parachute. Being an old military guy, the, the Marines have guys that their sole job is to pack parachutes. Your average Marine does not know how to pack a parachute. We have skilled guys that do that. And to me, a, a risk management program is a risk parachute for somebody that doesn't want to jump out of an airplane. And I always ask guys, which of these three things is most important to you if you had to jump from a moving airplane that's going to crash? Is it the quality of the parachute? Is it the skill of the person that packed a parachute? Or is it the price of the parachute? And I get a lot of people that their first reaction is, well, I want the highest quality shoot in the world. And I go, no, you want the skilled parachute pack? Because I would rather jump with a lesser quality chute pack properly than to jump with the highest quality shoot watered in the bag. And price is the last thing on your mind when you go out of the airplane. And when you talk to people like that, they go, nobody ever talks to me like that. That's different. And, uh, and some people look at you and throw you out of their office and say, I think you're an idiot leave but more often than not they say that makes some sense
1: for the record audience i got the answer correct when robert asked me so i think the other thing too is that you know is sales a couple of things number one i agree with what you said people get so caught up in being in the technical insurance piece of it and you said it yourself andrew Deering's one of the greatest door openers that you've ever met but he didn't have a skill set and he's grown into that. You don't yeah. need to know every single thing about insurance. There's always somebody whether it be somebody that's a peer, whether it's somebody in the office, you can get that part figured out. You're not going to I mean, I wish that there was a way to take a USB a USB drive stick it in my ear hole and download everything I need to know about insurance, but that doesn't exist. That's called life experience and getting out on the streets. So you know i I don't want people getting so paralyzed by fear of not knowing. I can tell you this, Robert. Never in my career have I gone into cold call somebody on the first meeting and they come out and ask me a technical insurance question. It just right. never happens. It's right. to go in there, meet that person, start to establish rapport and everything else. I think the other thing that we we make mistakes about as agents is especially outside producers. We don't have to have everybody buy from us the way we want them to buy from us. If you're going to go into an industry, you need to understand how that industry buys. So hang with me for a second, and I'll explain why I think that way. I have a guy that I hired that um, came in as a producer and you know, you don't know this about me yet, Robert, but you're going to find out. I only hire people from outside the industry. I don't want insurance industry people coming in as producers. I like business-to-business salespeople, and I can train them on everything else. If I look oh, yeah, at your great. resume and you've been with ADP for five years and you've had Progressive responsibility I know you can cut it In this industry I don't even have to talk to you Um, But that being said I brought this guy in Because he worked For a company That manufactured Bulk products For the automotive industry And manufacturing um, You know 55 gallon drums Of lubricants And oil And brake fluid And all of that And I'm like I need this Rolodex. That's what I bought. I bought the Rolodex because he could get me into the places he had been calling on selling this product over the course of his career. So went out, did some marketing drops with him for the first uh, you know couple of weeks, shouted him pretty heavily and everything, but d- didn't really need to be on the road with him because he had some of these relationships already and he could go in and at least open and, and make the conversation, leave some information, whatever. And after he'd been with me for about a month or so, I asked him, I'm like, listen, man, I, you know, I'm not trying to put, undue pressure on you but you've been going for like around a month now and i haven't seen that you've actually gotten an appointment when he was and his his goal was just to get the appointment and i would go back with him which is the way all of us do it right you take the guy from the office that knows what he's doing and you get to, you, you get to learn that way and so i said i just don't understand because man these people just are not giving me the time of day i said he goes i, I you know some of these shops i've called on and some of them i haven't but you know they just they don't want to talk to me and i said all right let's stop and think about this for a second you're calling on mechanics. How do mechanics buy? How do manufacturers buy? Period. They're used to the guy from Snap-on Tools coming. They're used to the per lady from advanced auto parts coming, and these people are coming to their place once a month to call on them. They're not used to dealing with outside producers that are waiting 60 to 90 days before renewal or whatever. They have a route person that they see every single month. So for the next two months, scrap the shirt and tie, wear jeans or khakis and a polo shirt and you are no longer an insurance agent or a producer. You're the new territory rep for the area and you can go in and you can talk to them and explain I'm the new rep for your area from Florida Risk. We have a whole variety of things, blah 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 blah, whatever his stick was. And guess what? We started getting appointments. It wasn't the first it wasn't the first time, but once they saw the consistency, they're like, you know what, this guy's gonna be coming around every month. Let me see if I can meet with him and make him go away. But he never went away. And I think that's part of the problem producers just they don't have the wherewithal until you know until they realize that's what they have to have and unfortunately some of them never do right producers confuse activity with productivity that's what josh was saying earlier At, but that's how i say it just because you're active and you have things that are pre- like i get people all the, we, we just had one we had a guy in our mastermind group that post this ridiculous scenario about somebody who owns a semi but they don't drive a semi they just simply loan it out to a nonprofit who has somebody with a CDL drive it he's trying to figure out how to insure it because it came from a referral partner and my first response is he said how do I handle this I said you freaking walk away from it man what's your hourly rate I don't even know I've been doing this 20 years and I don't know how to insure this thing why are you wasting time on it and his his response was that my referral partner sent it to me and I don't want to upset them I said you've done a bad job of educating your referral Partner about what kind of referrals are good for you. That referral partner is not going to be mad if you take the time to say, Look, this is the stuff I'm really good at, and and this is what I can help you with the most. Anything outside of that, I'm not going to be your best option. But if you give me this, I will have this turned around and able to to make you look like an absolute superstar, but that's not the case. We take everything because we don't want to upset the referral partner, and now what are we doing? We're spinning our wheels, quoting a bunch of crap that we, we would never have gone out and originated on our own, but we're busy. We're active, and we think that we're being profitable as a result of that. What's the close ratio on business like that? It's minimal, right? I mean – so that that's the whole thing. You got we got to figure out what the difference is between being active and being productive because activity while it may breed productivity, activity in and of itself doesn't mean you're going to make a paycheck.
2: Our top 20 program has uh has a whole session regarding uh centers of influence and how to educate them on what our sweet spot is and what our value proposition is for that type of person, that type of business. Uh if you don't do that, you're going to get referred into uh uh, mom-and-pop Main Street business that you don't want, and now you've got to either handle that business or you have to politely extricate yourself without getting egg on your face or the uh, center of influence. And uh, I think that that's, that's probably one of the worst things that we can do. One of the other things to tell your center of influence is, uh please, I appreciate anybody that you bring to me, but please don't tell them who I am and that I will call them. Just say, I have a friend that might be helpful to you. Let me run what you do by him. And if he wants to uh, uh, come and visit with you about it, uh, we'll set that up. If it's not something he can do, he'll tell me. But that keeps the center of influence from getting egg on his face when he says, oh, yeah, Josh will come see you. And Josh says, I don't want it. And then he says, has to call back, well, Josh doesn't really want to see you. Doesn't do anybody any good. So you're right. It's a matter of education, a matter of educating the center of influence as to how you need their help, but how you want them to help you. And, uh, and also the size type uh, of business that you that you want to go on or call on. Very, very important. Um, you know, we're talking about patience and, and, uh, and urgency. The other two things that I look for, and I'm like you, David, I, I want to get somebody that's been in business to business sales and preferably a business that requires displacing a current provider so waste management companies and people like that that have to somebody's taking their trash out now uh go ahead and, and find somebody that has to displace the the competition but um i look for two things in a producer candidate um, I, I call it intellectual curiosity and intellectual agility uh, are they curious about how the business runs? Are they curious about what the guy's problems might be? Are they curious and ask good questions about where his uh, aggravation and struggles come from? Uh, the, the people that ask good questions in an interview ask good questions of a, of a prospect or a, or a client. The other is intellectual agility. Uh, and I, I think of that as uh, an example of a running back in football that the play calls for him to go off right tackle, and there's supposed to be a hole there. But as he takes the ball from the quarterback, he sees that that line is all blocked up. But he sees a hole out of the corner of his eye to the left, and he plants his right foot and pivots and goes to the left. It's that ability to go in wanting to talk about X, Y, and Z with a a prospect and having them change the the discussion to something else and being able to say, okay, I'm going to go where they want me to go. And uh, I see a lot of people that get so locked into what they want to go sell, what they want to go talk about, what their value proposition is, that when the prospect or the client is giving them an opening to do something different, they don't. Those are the two things that I think are most important.
1: Well, it's funny, when we had Kevin Ring on, um, one of the episodes when we were talking to him, we we were kind of joking about it, but it's, it's a sad reality. And he said, you know, the problem is that... Everybody goes in and their their solution to any problem is to just sell them a product, right? And, and sell them as many products as they can because they think that's what's going to fix it. He goes, could you imagine if our healthcare system did that? And you went in and you said, hey, doc, you know, I'm having a little bit of pain in my right knee. And the next thing you know, he wants to do a full knee replacement on your right. Well, while we got you under, let's do the left too. And we could probably do a spinal adjustment that's going to make you feel. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's exactly what we do when we go in to sell people a Product as opposed to just sitting back, listening to what their problems are, because I hate to break it to everybody that's listening to this, but the solution isn't always an insurance policy. You could have all kinds of other ways to structure the risk financing, and the risk transfer of an organization. But if you only focus on the insurance, that's the only solution you're ever going to give. That's why I went and got my CRM. I wanted to think about it from a completely different perspective than just going in and knowing, hey, this endorsement needs to be on there. And by the way, your deductible is probably a little bit off over here. You got a margin clause on your property policy, blah, 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 blah. I can do that stuff. But... People don't your, – your client, like, Char, like, like Josh said, it's Charlie Brown's teacher to them. I really believe, and I've said this hundreds of times, I think from a client's perception, if you present yourself well, you're dressed well, you're groomed well, you can put a sentence together and sound relatively intelligent – they're just going to assume you know what you're doing. If you're a licensed agent calling on them, I think the average consumer at the very onset thinks, eh, this guy's an insurance agent. He must know what he's doing. That's why you got to take the time to educate. You have to do what the others won't. Earn that perception of yourself. Go in and, and, and let them come to the conclusion, yeah, this guy's way out outside of the league of everybody else that I've talked to. There's no way I would do business with anybody, but this person. And that's the thing you have, that takes time. You're not going to go, you know, to your guy's point, Josh, you're not going to educate somebody to the level they need to be educated to make a buying decision, to fire a multi-year relationship in 20 minutes. It's not going to happen. Number one, You've got to show consistency so they know you're going to show up more than once because most of the people who sell go close the deal and you don't see them again until renewal. Maybe you got to show that consistency. If you get in front of them two, three, four times over a couple of months, you've already probably seen them more than the incumbent ads and you're beginning to build the rapport and relationship. And every single time you're making educational deposits into that relational bank account and eventually they're going to hire you.
3: Well, that's exactly the uh, method that we have used, you know, uh, over the years with people because I think, and and let me, let me say this because I, I want to give people at least the exact roadmap that we use within our own agency. I, I, I want to put this out here if, as far as being consistent. This is what we do. I mean, now, other people may have things that they do, but from a prospecting standpoint, if we make that initial marketing drop, okay, let's say this is week one, all right, initial marketing drop. You know, we don't necessarily get anywhere, but we just drop some information off and we we get the the person at the front desk name, which is a huge win, in my opinion, is getting somebody's name. And then you come back and the next time you can say you can call their name, you can start building a relationship with them. And then the next week we make a phone call and then we can call and say, hey, the reason I'm calling is because I left you this benchmarking study, you know, on the salary of welders in your area. And I wanted to have a conversation about it. And then if I still don't get them, then we call the next week. So we're hitting them three weeks in a row, and then we're going to take a week off. We're just going to let it cool off for a week, and then see so if they we're call. You, they ask you where you've been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you die? Yeah, we're we're going to hit them one more time, and then um, you know if they don't respond, then, then we're going to take we're actually going to take six weeks off, and then we take six weeks off, and then we start the process all over again from the beginning and uh you know i think it's got to be consistent repeatable you know we have it programmed into the crm the way that this works uh so it makes it easy for the producer but like the the reality is if you call on somebody one time and you don't call them again for six or eight months then they're going to forget who you are over that time so that's the that's the way that we do it and then on the back end is just telling people what you're going to do and then and then performing on on what you say i mean you give them a client service timeline and you talk about the things that are important that are going to happen during that time. Hey, we, we're not going to be the people that are going to call you every single month and bug the crap out of you. But we do have some things that we're going to do for you throughout the year. Sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's not so much. But I think that's how we've maintained all these accounts in 24 different states you know, across the country is by, is by performing um, on, on all these things. So I think that's an area that, that producers uh, could certainly improve in.
2: I want to compliment Josh on something that uh, he and Andrew have done. The the establishment of the niche that they have has enabled them to broaden their market territory significantly. And uh, we hear from, from some of our partner agencies, they live in rural communities or smaller towns. And uh, it's, it's not uncommon to hear a producer say, well, we write all the good business in our County. And my comment is, is there an electric fence at your County line? Uh, You know, will you fall off the edge of the earth if you go into the next county? And then you hear the response sometimes that, well, you know, but people are pretty proprietary or pretty, um, that's not the word I'm looking for, colloquial, I guess, is that they won't buy from us over in the adjacent counties. And I go, they buy from Amazon every day. They buy from uh, Walmart every day. They'll buy from somebody that (laughs) provides them a good value. Don't tell me they won't buy from you in your county. Cause you don't go to church with them or you don't go to rotary with them you've got to provide a value their guy's not providing and uh i think that's that's just somewhat of a uh, excuse for not prospecting
1: well i'll tell you it's funny i was actually speaking at a keystone event and i had a guy push back on uh, why you needed to have a presence online and why if you create content to answer questions people have before they reach out to you it's a strategic, it's a good strategy from a marketing standpoint because people are going to go online to find the answer before they ever ask you know reach out and pick up the phone to call a professional and whatever else and he's like well the people in my area just aren't that technologically savvy and i said really i said well, let me ask you a question when you have when, when you want to know the answer to something where do you go he goes i go to google and i said you yeah. just proved my point do you live in your neighborhood right i mean anybody who wants to know the answer to something's going to go to a search engine to find the answer to it you, your job is to make sure that you have the answer at the top of the list and then if you do that you're going to become an, an, an authority in their mind and they're going to reach out to you i've done it literally hundreds of times over the course of my career i didn't just start blogging last week i've been blogging for almost 20 years now that's why i get results from it i never quit and I think that's the other thing is you know you've got to have an iron resolve man you have to you have to get up every morning knowing that you're gonna get nine nos before you get to the 10th yes and you got you got to be able to deal with that one reason why we've been so successful in my agency with using a virtual assistant to tell a market to set appointments on our behalf is because they really don't care. They don't care if they get hung up on. They have one job, to book the appointment. And they understand that if they book appointments, they're not going to have that job. So they're not going to waste time on the phone with somebody who's being rude to them or wants to hang up on them. They're not going to waste time after they get off you know, feeling sorry for themselves. They're going to dial the next number and the next number and the next number. And as a result, we, get, we have somebody who lives on the other side of the world booking between 5 and 25 appointments a week for my agency because they just don't quit, period. Uh, you
2: mentioned, a- uh, you, you, you mentioned your online presence and, uh, what we find interesting, uh, when we do our prospectors academy is we, we're teaching them a value proposition that is a risk management value proposition. And then you go and you look at their agency's, uh, website and very often the first thing that you see on it is call us for a quote. Uh, I mean, really call us for a quote. If, uh, if that's your idea of image of your agency that you want to put out there is call us for a quote you're going to get used a lot. Uh, and I just, I, I can't understand that. So I, I think if you're going to tell people to have an online presence, you ought to tell them what the online presence has to look like. Cause it can't be that we're the, we're the cheapest, we're the fastest, we're the most market we've been around for a hundred years. Cause nobody cares. the The online presence has got to be, we provide a value that nobody else provides.
1: Yeah. I can tell you the CFO that gets the new mod letter that it's going from a 0.93 to a 1.44 doesn't care whether or not you can get them a quote they want to know that you can fix it for them they want to understand that you're the person that knows how indemnity affects claims and that you can help them put that turn to work program in that they've never had and that's part of the reason the mods crept up and having a, a, a designated person that's responsible for of taking information and making sure they're actually investigating accidents and incidents. And we could go for days on all of this stuff, right? But at the end of the day, it goes back to the same thing. Robert, if you have an online presence that says, click here for a quote, and I love it when people say, click here for a free quote. I mean, do you charge some of the people to quote them? I mean, but it's click, yeah, no, click here for a quote. Report. It's the same th- yeah, it's, it's the same thing we said when you walk in and you're trying to just throw the broker a record letter down right off the bat. We don't have patience. And I tell people, I, I I use the term intensely patient. That's how I classify myself. I'm one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. But I understand I have to channel that into patience because for me to be able to have the kill shot, I got to wait for my target to get where it's the appropriate point for me to shoot. I, I mean... I don't know how many people are deer hunters. I'm not a great deer hunter, but I've killed deer. At the end of the day, if, if that thing is 500 yards out and I'm only accurate to 75, why am I taking a shot at 500 yards? Good point. Good point. Well, listen, we've been going an hour. You guys both have much higher hourly rates than I do. So I want to be respectful of that. But I wanted to tell you, I really appreciate the time, Robert. You're a, you have an open invitation to come on anytime you want. And, uh, Gurley already does. So he, he knows that. But I, I appreciate both of you taking time out of your day to share with our audience. People, if you're looking, if you're looking for resources out there and you're, you're kind of, feel like you're on an island, I would encourage you to reach out to Keystone. And if you want to talk offline, I can promise you Josh Gurley will take a call from anybody who wants to talk about what it looks like to become a Keystone agency. And I'm sure Robert would, too. But uh, take advantage of that. You know, Josh is going to be the first guy. He doesn't have any in the game to sell you other than he owns a piece of Keystone. But that's so diluted compared to where yeah. everything else is. You don't really have a realistic you know, stake in the game, right? But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, they're building an army over there, and it's, it's all about the right agents in the right places. And the one thing I can tell you, I work in Killing Commercial, I work with a slew of Keystone agents. And I've told Josh this before, and I've told plenty of other people. I can tell over the phone how people answer questions that I ask, whether... Whether they're a Keystone agency or not, before they ever tell me that they are. There is a definite difference between the agencies I see that are in Keystone and the agencies that aren't. But let that mean whatever you want it to mean. I'm just telling you, if you're looking for help, that might be a place to go. Everybody have a great week. We will catch you next time. See ya.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast.